Again, let's open up your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we pick back up where we left off. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Well, let me start by saying we are not taking all 58 verses. So you can breathe in and out. We're only going to take 11 verses today uh, because there's just, this is a very powerful and very important uh, part of the Bible. It's an incredible chapter of the Bible. Now, if you've been with us, you know it started back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, that this letter here was based upon a letter that was coming from the the Corinthian believers that says, help, Paul, we need help. The church is just not clicking and going very well. People are going different directions. We've got issues in the church. Can you help us and to address some of the issues that are going on in the church? And Paul here is writing back to the believers there in Corinth about the issues that are going on. If you remember in verse in, in well in chapter seven, he started off by addressing the first issue, and that was around marriage. Then he moved on into chapter uh, 8 through 9 and 10, dealing with idols that were uh, coming up and and creeping into the church, and he had to address that issue with idols. Then in chapter 11, the first part, he talked about what worship service should be like and what it shouldn't be like. And at the end of chapter 11, it was all about uh, communion service and what it should and should not be like. And then finally, we saw in chapters 10, 11, 10 through 14, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 12 through 14, spiritual gifts. And he addressed the spiritual gifts and what was going on within that church and some taking some liberty in their new faith uh, in Christ and, and things were just going astray. Now today he takes the final topic. We see the final topic here in chapter 15 and it's around the resurrection of the dead. And see, because having dealt with so many issues around worship within the church, worshiping in the church and how that should be done in a decent and orderly way, we see now Paul turning to a very important doctrinal conversation or controversy that was taking place within the church that the church was starting to, uh, to uh, really get to the core of a doctrinal issue that is not negotiable. There are some things that are negotiable. Some things we can just agree that this is what we believe, and then they know this is what, but there are doctrinal issues that you cannot dis- agree to disagree on. They're the foundational, and they make a stance. And this is one of them. This is around the resurrection. If there was a bodily resurrection or there's no bodily resurrection. And unfortunately, back in those days, and what was happening in this church, is people started believing what the Greek culture was believing. See, many of the Greeks are coming in, and now the Israelites that are now saved coming into this church started believing the culture. And believing that they needed to adjust the church and the culture of the church away from maybe the solid foundation of the, of the teachings and moving in a direction of what the culture says because that's what they want. Because we can attract more people if we believe what the, the culture likes. They'll, they'd be more welcome. They'll feel warm and fuzzy if they, we think more like them. So they, we don't believe that there was a really a truly a bodily resurrection. That can't happen. 
Well, not only did the people kind of creep in, because they could understand that, right? So you, you just get saved, and you're still trying to figure out the things of the world you've been living like for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. You've been thinking a certain way. And then you come into this church, and you start hearing things that are opposite of what you've been saying and teaching and telling and living. And there's going to be conflict in your walk for the first six months to a year. There's these highs and lows like, oh, I thought I knew that. I, I didn't understand that. Oh, I thought that was religious. That's completely against the word of God. And you start going through these mind games for the first six months to a year. But if you just continue to be steadfast in the scriptures and be solid on the foundation, you'll come out of that, that roller coaster emotion of religiosity into a relationship of who Jesus Christ is and what his teachings are. Going according to his way, his truth. It's about his life. So give it time. So regardless of how you feel, keep showing up and keep studying the word of God and you're going to see God bring you through that. But the challenge we find here in Corinth is the fact that these believers not only did some of the people coming in, they're getting saved, and they're trying to learn, and they're trying to get rid of this Greek culture. I'm, I was Greek. I've always been Greek. and I, Those things that people still hold on. Oh, I, I behave like this because I'm Italian. Or I'm an Irish. I'm a this. I'm a that. Once you're a child of God, you're a child of God. This stuff, the other stuff should be fading away, and the things of you should just see you, Christ in you. That's what it should be. That should be your identity. And that takes time. Because God will work out your salvation. But here, it got worse here in the church. Not only did some of the people believe that there was no bodily resurrection, but those who taught within this church started believing there was no bodily resurrection. Now, when the church, the people who are called by God to teach the word, starts going away from the foundation of the doctrinal truth of the word of God, Hello? They're in trouble. There'll be greater consequences for those who teach the word and teach it falsely. God does not let that rest. You understand that, right? So here Paul is saving the most important, the doctrinal issue at the very end of this letter. And he's going to address it very clearly. But he starts off, we're only going to take the first 11 verses. He brings them back to the foundation. He brings them back to, to the centering point, and that is, who is Jesus Christ? Because if you're not focused and understand who Jesus is, and what ha, what he, who he is, what he has done, what he, what he will do, it is that will you'll just everything else that you believe will just become really like quicksand to you, and it's just it's just you're going to sink and, and spiral out of control. But here, in chapter 15, the biggest issue to be addressed and the most important topic that he can address to these believers in Corinth is the fact that there was this danger of moving away from the truth, and that is the gospel itself. And today, we're going to see the full gospel impact and the validity of why the resurrection is so important when we teach and share the good news of the the gospel that we're teaching the full gospel and we will see that in verses uh, uh, verses three and four as we get there but if you remember in the very in the very beginning paul has been in and started the church in corinth he was there and he was preaching the truth for one and a half years before God moved him on to start other churches and doing other things. So a year and a half, there was a foundation that was laid. And he says right there in the very verse one, he says, moreover, 
Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So we see right in the very beginning that Paul starts right over saying, besides, okay, he's just all everything I've been talking about. But, but brethren, I declare, I am going to give to you, I'm making a stance here, that I declare, this is not a question, this is not negotiable, this is not debatable, this is solid that I've given you. So you know this, I've, I've told you. I know with a fact, Paul says, I know for a fact you've heard it from my own lips, this truth. Why you're straying away from it, I don't know. But except the fact that you've allowed the culture of the community to come in and change the church, that, sh that can't happen. And he says, I declared to you the gospel, the good news, the great news. The truth, the truth of God I have given to you. He says, I, and I did it, which I preached to you. He stood up and he preached. He, he boldly proclaimed the truth of God to these people. Which also you received. So he made an acknowledgement that I know I personally preached to you this truth of God. I know this is a solid foundation, a doctrinal truth you know because I've taught it. I know because of my relationship with you, you have received it. You didn't just hear it, you actually believed it. You actually received it and said, I, I, I agree with you. I, I take that in, I take it, I'm going to hold on to that truth. That is true and I'm willing to repeat it. That's how much you've received it. Because there's people today who will sit and hear it but they're so hard-hearted, their ears are so closed off to the truths of God from the scriptures directly that they, you think they're receiving it, but they sit there and they are completely over on the 10-course ten, ten meal or on their next vacation planning. They're not here presently receiving what God has from, from the word of God. That's why we worship. That's why we spend time in prayer to prepare for us to receive what God has God's planned for you to hear today through the scripture. So Paul continues to hear, he says, I know I've preached to you. I know you've received from me in which you stand. You firmly stand. Some people like to receive, but they're just wobbly like a like a little baby they can barely can't even stand up they're just crawling they're not willing to stand on it they're not willing to stand firm on it is really what the context of this of what he's saying here meaning you could be pushed around like if you sit there and if you haven't received if you haven't believed and it's not based on something that is solid then the next person who comes in who has some skills to be able to negotiate and sway you with their words can actually move you, make you fall down in your faith, make you fall down in your walk. Because someone has some influence over you and has swayed you with their words. 
But Paul is saying, no, you've received it. I know I've preached it. I know I, you, you heard it clearly. You received it. And you were standing. When I left, you know, after a year and a half, you were standing on the truth. So why am I getting this letter and hearing that you're now moving away from this truth, this doctrinal truth, that there is a resurrection of the body is true? Like a good lawyer, he's like, wait a minute, I brought you back to the foundation here. I brought you back to the, 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 the truth. So what, like any good lawyer, like a good someone who's solid in what they understand, they're gonna, he's going to now present to them some historical facts. And that's all we're going to take in the very first part today is the historical part. Then we'll get theological argument and proof and everything else later on in the chapter. But here he says, you stand on the truth by which you also are saved. Not only did you hear the truth. Not only did you receive that truth, and you were willing to stand, and no one's going to push you down and change your mind on this. It results in salvation. It results, the impact of the, the full gospel, the impact is a changed life. It is not an old life wrapped with some religiosity. It's not the old life that you get to continue to live and just put on the, the church clothes only once a week or maybe once a month or once a quarter or just the, the top two holidays. But a changed life of who you are. You're saved. You're not lost any longer. Yes, you were once blind, but now you see. Yes, you were once lost, but now you're found. It's a changed life. It's complete opposite. There should be a changed life because you're saved. And it says, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. So he's basically saying the first proof that there is a bodily resurrection based on the full gospel, the very first proof, the very first clear evidence that there's something different and change is your life and the fact that there is a church that you belong to. That you were saved, you were changed, and now there's a collection of brothers and sisters that have been changed by that same gospel message, that same truth. That is evidence that there was a bodily resurrection. And if he says here, he says, if, another word here is the same word he uses later on in the end of that verse, is unless you hold fast that word. That word, that word, the word, word means logos. The word of God. And unless you hold fast to the word of God, the logos, which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Oh, I believe, Pastor. Oh, I believe. You do. Praise God. That's great. 
Tell me your story. Tell me what it's been like since you've been saved. What changed in your life? How do you live? Let me just watch your life. I'll see the fruit. What? Is there godly love coming from you? You just have to look at their life because you will know if they were changed, if they were truly saved or not based on a changed life. The way they think, what they do, where they go, how they respond. But most of all, it's the, not only the hope and the faith, the faith, the hope, the, but what was more important of all these? The more excellent way was what? We just read it, you just studied the last two couple of weeks? Love. Do you see the love of Christ in them? And he warns them, unless you believed in vain, that vain meaning emptiness or useless. Yeah, you believed, but it's useless. It's empty. There's no fruit. There's no change. There's no, I just, you believed in vain. But when you don't believe in vain, when you truly have trusted, truly received the word of God, the gospel of the, the good news, and you receive and you're standing on it. Oh, the transformed life. You don't have to say a thing. It just, we, can, we just see it in your life. We see it in life. That doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. You may have gotten pushed around a little bit. And you may have seen a little wobbly but you go right back and you stand firm because you go back to the gospel. You go back to the foundation that your life is based upon now. Not your feelings, not situations, and certainly not the weather. That was a funny. <laughs> for you, if you're here up here in the North Country for the first time, you'll understand what I meant by that. You think Doomsday has happened when winter hits around this place. Oh, my life is gone. You know, like, oh, I feel miserable. You know, a dark cloud hovers over me. We can't be swayed by the emotions, or the weather, or circumstances. We could be pushed around a little bit. We can huddle in the corner and shiver because we literally are shivering. I understand that. But we say, God, you're going to get me through this next season of life. Because you is who I trust in. Are you with me? Amen? That's what he's saying. Hold fast. This is not a loose, well, I can touch it and feel it once in a while. I'll read my Bible. No, hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to this truth. Don't allow another person or a religion or system or anything sway you from the foundation of this doctrinal truth of the gospel. But the full gospel, what do you mean? I keep using that term. Here it is. Paul makes it very clear for you and I. Verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. That here it is. What did he receive? What did he deliver to the believers there in Corinth? He, he sent and gave them very clear three things. Two essential. Death and resurrection. But here it is. Christ died for our sins according to the 
Scripture. Not according to the pastor, not according to the reverend, not according to the, the pope, or nobody else, but according to the Scripture. And who is the Word? Christ, who gave us the Word, the Holy Spirit himself, God himself Almighty. So it's not based on some best-selling book. It's not about some human philosophy or rationalization. It's not based on human reasoning. It is based on the Holy Scriptures itself. So not only is the impact on these believers in Corinth, By evidence and proof the fact that the church was started. Because apart from the gospel, there would be no church, my friends. This would be a social club. If you do not base the foundation of our gathering together on the word of God, we're just a social club. And it's only a matter of time the social club will disband. Just read an article yesterday. Social clubs across everywhere are disbanding. Just in Watertown alone, they're just disbanding. Why is their social clubs disbanding? Because there's no foundation. The foundations are constantly changing, and there's turmoil, all kinds. There's nothing their foundation. Their rules are always changing. And it's happening in the churches today. Churches are splitting and disbanding and, and closing up shop because it's not, there's no longer based on the scriptures. It's based on a social club. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe we should go out and help people from their social issues or issue because the scripture tells us to. If someone says they're hungry, we can go feed them. I am all good with that. The homeless, I'm good with that. Let's go help. Those who have a fire in a house and they need clothing and they shelter and stuff, I believe God is going to rise you and I up and give us the resources to go help that. I am totally with that. But if it's based on our own effort and based on our social club because we have this commonality, we're going to save the, the squirrel and we're going to save the whatever whale. It's only a matter of time this social club will become a social club and divide and, and just, it will disband. But when your foundation of our fellowship is based on the scriptures, it doesn't matter what storm, what social challenge, the drug problem, <clears throat> the homeless problem, the, the, the moral problem of this, this political problem of this. It doesn't matter because we're continuing to be united as one body in serving how God would want us to serve him. That would be an amen moment. Christ died for your sins and my sins. That's great news, my brothers and sisters. And it's not based on a feeling. It's based on truth, the scriptures. So regardless of how you feel and you think you can't overcome the sin in your life right now, move on past the feelings and go and base that foundation of why you have been forgiven of those sins. And that he's going to give you the strength 
and he will transform your life if you will let him. So keep seeking him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and he is faithful to complete the work that he has started in you, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what your best friend or your family or whatever is telling you. Move beyond that and listen to God's voice. God's voice is his word. You hold on to his word. Then he continues. Paul says, okay, it's according to scripture. It's not about me. And he says, verse 4, and that he was buried. Jesus was buried. He died on the cross, and then he was buried. So many people will start, Jesus died for my sins. But you must get the full impact of the gospel. You must say and complete the rest of the gospel. The full gospel is that not only did he die on the cross for your sins, but he was buried. That means he truly died. You're not going to bury a live person. He, had to, he was dead. He was buried. They know because even on the cross, they even tested the fact that he was dead. It wasn't a question if he was dead or not. He was dead. We see the scriptures. Witnesses everywhere. It was declared he was dead. They buried him. But he didn't stay buried because if he was buried, he was dead and buried, then we do not have a living Savior. But we have a living Savior Savior, because a part of the gospel message, the full gospel message, is right there at the very end here is not only was he buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Do you believe the full gospel? Do you believe? Because that is the question for you and I. Because when you trust, believe, by faith, because you're reading it, and the Holy Spirit is testifying that truth, there would be a change in your life, and you were saved. You were regenerated. That is the foundation we must come to and come back to. Sometimes, in tough times, a daily conversation regarding that truth. Your Lord, your Master, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, God who took on flesh, like you and me, to come save a dead world. People, you and I, who are going to hell for eternity, said, I love you so much because I created you. I love you and I want a relationship with you. I am willing to come and die in your place. I'm willing to be buried. But I will have victory. And the scriptures told us before it happened. Go back and read Isaiah 53. Go back to read Psalm 22. Go back and read in the Old Testament of the fact of what the Messiah was coming and he was going to set you free and give you a life, eternal life, for those who believe in the full gospel. The full gospel is the fact that not only did he die, 
And if you notice, if he died and was buried, that means he's no longer on the cross. So if you're looking at a cross with him on the cross, he's no longer on the cross, my people. And if you're staring at a tomb, he's no longer in the tomb. He is alive. Our Savior is alive. A dead Savior who's still buried cannot save you. The guru from whatever religion is dead, he's buried, he's not alive, he cannot save them. You put your trust, your belief in a living Savior. He was raised from the dead by the Father himself and the power of the Holy Spirit. He did not raise himself. He didn't live sinless during the three years he was on this, during the ministry, or during his whole life, but certainly during the ministry, but his whole life of 33 years. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit just like you are as a believer. Being directed by the Father just like he was. And the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is also going to raise you up into eternal life. If you choose to hold fast in belief in who he is. That, that's great news. That's incredible news. Because you don't have to be swayed. Because you have proof there's a church. If there was no, risen, there was no full gospel, then there would not be a church. It would be a social club. If it wasn't for the proof that he actually delivered and showed and proved, and he's going to now prove it historically and logically right through the rest of this chapter, that this gospel, this full gospel is true. That Jesus was raised from the dead and he's alive. He sits at the right hand of the Father and he's waiting to come back for you and I interceding for you and I now in heaven. You have your advocate, your lawyer, petitioning and providing and, and, and speaking on your behalf. Who else would you want on your corner, in your corner to help you and represent you? But the living Savior. And now Paul continues here in verse 5, and, and through oh, to verse 9, he now gives witnesses as a great lawyer back in the Judaism and when they had they came in front of the the Sanhedrins or whatever the, the law system was they had to have two witnesses two or more witnesses and it's still true today you should have two or more witnesses before you can declare that is truth or not in regards to having controversy over a situation that took place so Paul but Paul only needed to give one And he's going to bring the one, and that is Jesus Christ himself as a witness. But he's going to bring witnesses to show that Jesus was raised from the dead. He was, there was a resurrection. And he starts off in verse 5, and he says that he was seen by Cephas. Who's Cephas? That's an Aramaic name right there for Simon Peter. So God, right in the very beginning, brings to light Simon Peter as the first witness of seeing the risen Lord. We don't know exactly, but in Galatians we know that he's, God in his grace and his mercy came and saw Peter and restored him. 
comforted him and letting him know, because remember, Peter had just denied him three times. And so before that Sunday night was ended, he had come and he spent and he showed mercy and he showed grace and he came to this rebellious, denying man who called himself a disciple, a call, he walked with God. He was a fisherman that was changed in life. He just dropped his fishing, his career, and he just followed God, followed Jesus during the time. And, and, and now he denied him in his crucial time. Peter was broken. But then the love of Jesus came alongside and said, I know. Peter, I'm, I'm, a, I'm risen. Just like I said, I would. I told you. Four or five times I've told you. On the third day I would, I would rise from the dead. I even used Jonah in Matthew 24, I believe it is. I even used Jonah as an example. Kept repeating myself, and you guys just weren't clicking. You weren't clicking with me here. You were hearing me, but you weren't really receiving it and standing on what I was telling you. But that didn't change the course of what I said I would do, and I'm faithful to complete it, and I did. I've been risen from the dead. I'm now coming to comfort you, Cephas, coming to comfort you, Peter. And we know in John 20, 21, I believe, he actually, we see him, uh, Jesus coming in and restoring Peter, not only back into the fellowship, but even into leadership of the early church. Now that's grace. First it was mercy, now that's grace. He didn't deserve to be back in leadership at all in the early church for denying Jesus who he was. But that's how God works. And we're thankful for his mercy and grace, are we not? That was another amen. You with me? Okay, good. And then he said, then by the 12. We know the 12, the dirty dozen, but it wasn't a dozen. Judas has already killed himself. Thomas, we know in the scriptures, wasn't in that upper room at that time. He wasn't present. Doubting Thomas was all fleeing off somewhere else doing his own thing. It wasn't until later, about a week later, that he comes into the scene and with the rest of the guys. So who could it be? Well, it's a figurative speech here because when you looked at a bunch of group of people, oh, there's the 12 coming now. It was a, a broad uh, figurative speech of saying those, those inner core guys that were with Jesus for three years of the ministry, here they come. Even though there were only 10, maybe 11, because Matthias who they threw straws on, was now part of the inner core, remember? So he, we know by, if you go back to Galatians chapter 1 or so, verses 1 through 11, I think, you will see that interaction where Matthias may have been part of this group. Either way, here's the 12. Now God has used this core group, the inner core of Jesus' inner core, is now a, impacted their lives. They, are, they have seen Jesus with their own eyes and now a witness, an apostle of saying, I have seen Jesus with my own eyes. He is resurrected from the dead. Powerful. But then we continue on. He uses the next group here in verse 6. And after that, 
He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And then we see Paul writing, he says, wait a minute, Jesus was seen by 500. There's one time there was a group of 120 that we see. And, but there's one time there was a 500 people. It wasn't a hallucination. It wasn't like a few people getting together. Hey, I think I saw a shadow. Didn't that look like Jesus? We'll just declare it's Jesus. You know, that shadow or that breeze. That went. No, no, no. None of that crazy stuff that we see today in churches. With their own eyes, they saw Jesus in the flesh. Transformed body. Personally. Now, you only need two witnesses. How many have we had so far? Over 500. How many witnesses do you need to believe? You need to believe. Even though part of them remain, even at this moment in time, he's referring back and said, wait a minute, even 500 see him. And a lot, some of them are, have fallen asleep or dead, but some of them are still here proclaiming that they saw Jesus with their own eyes. How can you sit there, believers in Corinth, and say there's no body of the resurrection when there's people living still today proclaiming and letting you know exactly what they saw? But when you choose to darkness... You choose darkness. When you choose you do not want to believe, you choose you do not want to believe. When you choose you do not want to follow, you choose not to follow. So at the very end when God says, who am I? Who are you? You chose you didn't want to believe. You can't say someone else made you or forced you or coerced. You chose because the scriptures are so clear. That you can put your trust and believe in who Jesus is and what he has done. And that he is living and breathing, ready to come back for you and I. Preparing a place for us in his presence. Verse 7, and after that, he was seen by James. Oh, the full gospel impact on this man's life, James. The half-brother of Jesus. <laughs> it's hard sometimes to, as you study the scriptures, you kind of go, how could his own family not believe who he is? Right? You, you, you saw him, you saw him, you saw him eating his cereal bowl like everybody else. I mean, how could you not know his guy? Even into adulthood, you watched, you saw, you know, he was sinless. How could you not know, right? Have you ever read the scriptures and ever said, how could his brothers, half-brothers, mothers, how could they not know that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah? But they did not believe until after he was raised from the dead. The resurrection took place and James saw him. His life was changed. Remember the other people, they were in the upper room and Jesus came in miraculously. He didn't open up the doors. He didn't open up the windows and let me get through the window so no one sees me. No, no. He, he boop, Star Trek moment. He was there and he sat there and he breathed life into these people. Lives were changed in that room. 
James, his half-brother, who denied and did not believe he was the Messiah, after his death, after his burial, and when he was resurrected from the dead, he then believed. Because he knew, he saw, he, he, brother, I can touch you. That man was impacted by the full gospel. And then by all the apostles. We're not referring to the 12. We're talking about the multiple apostles. See, there was more than just the 12 apostles. There were multiple apostles. Multiple that saw and saw Jesus himself and followed Jesus and was out sharing the good news, the gospel around countryside they all saw him and then verse 8 then last of all he was seen by me he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time who's me Paul this is significant because he's telling them yes Peter was from the beginning the other apostles were from the beginning. The 500 was from the beginning. But I am standing here in front of you. I'm writing to you right now. That I also saw Jesus. And Jesus has made me an apostle. And he's made it clear on the road to Damascus. Remember the story. And he was on the road to Damascus to go find him? No. To go search and, and tell other people how, you know, join my religion? No. He was going out and persecuting the followers of Jesus themselves. He was a persecutor of the church, the early church. He had him killed. He had him imprisoned. But he says right here, then last of all, he, Jesus, was seen by me also as one born out of due time. What do you mean out of due time? See, all of the other guys, they were before the death, burial, and resurrection. Paul didn't get changed and didn't see Jesus until after the resurrection, remember. It was out of, out of the, the, the normal time of the rest of the witnesses. He was then out of time. It was just like, as he says right here, as, as a uh, one born out of due time, meaning normally the gestation period or the period that this all took place was before his dead, death, burial, and resurrection. I was later. I, I had a late due day here. I, I'm, I'm past my due day. I'm now into the past time. I'm in a different time frame. Or it, maybe it could be of something different. But he was referring to the fact that there is a set time. And Paul is referring, I'm outside of that set time. And God, by his grace and mercy, revealed himself to me and and you know the story. You go back and you can read it. And he says in verse 9, For I am the least of these apostles. He understood humbly. He knew that he wasn't part. He didn't walk with Jesus during those three years. He didn't see the miracles. He didn't do all those things. But by God's grace and mercy, he still called him. And out of the normal time frame, you would think, and called him to be an apostle to serve God. And that is incredible grace, incredible mercy upon him. And that's why he says, And who am not worthy to be called an apostle, but because I persecuted the church of God. 
I find this very, very important verses. Because you and I didn't walk with Jesus on the streets of Jerusalem. We didn't have dinner with him personally. We didn't, we didn't see him on the cross hanging. We didn't see him being put in the tomb. We didn't even see him with our, our personal eyes after the resurrection. And you and I persecuted the church more than likely at some point in our life. Unless you were by God's grace raised in a godly home, raised according to the ways of the Lord, and that you never had to allow the flesh or the Satan to cause you to go against the church or against believers. You've always had a love for Jesus and the love for his people. And that is a great testimony for those who fall in that category because you have a testimony a message a story that needs to get out to other young kids who are raised in a Christian home and encourage that brother and sister but most of us were like Paul we went against the things of God we made fun and mocked those who said they were a follower of Jesus. We wanted nothing to do with godly things. We just wanted to have our fun and eat our cake and, and tell everyone about it anyway. But Paul says, I am the least of these apostles because I know I'm a wicked man. I know my thoughts. I know my ways. I know what I've done. I even did it, Paul even did it in a form of religiosity. Remember, he was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He knew the law, he knew the scriptures, and he still had no relationship with Jesus Christ. He wanted nothing to do with him. He actually persecuted those who did. Think about the severity of that. So one thing, going against God and you've never even heard the word of God at all your whole life, you just lived like a heathen, like you've been taught by your parents. But to then proclaim that you're a godly man or a godly woman and you're sharing the things of God because from your religious background of what you were taught and you still went against the people of God and God himself? Are you crazy? That's what Paul's saying here. I am, I am the least of all of them. I'm st I can see Paul. I, I can't believe that Paul, God would even call me and giving me a second, third, fourth chance to even do anything for him. But that's God's grace. And that's what he will say here, won't he? Verse 10. But it's by the grace of God. I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not, but yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. It's only by the grace of God. 
that God would take someone like Paul, change his life by the gospel, by the truth that he was raised from the dead after being buried for three days because he came for one purpose and that was to die for Paul's and yours and my sin, the sin of the world, to give you an opportunity to have life with him for eternity because he loves you that much. And he gave Paul that opportunity and he received what God spoke to him there in the Damascus, on the road to Damascus. His life was changed. And Paul said, I was so radically changed. I'm so radically now going to do whatever God asks me to do. And as you read the epistles, and as you read through Acts, and you read through, God used him an instrument, willing vessel instrument for his purpose. He was beaten. He was persecuted. He was half dead, shipwrecked, bit by poisonous snake. Goes on and on for this man. This man was so beaten up when he arrived in Corinth. He was so bit and bruised and battled through his going out there and doing, going from place to place and sharing the gospel and what God has done in his life. And he was, oh, day after day, he was so confused as we read the scriptures going into Corinth. God had to come and intervene and said, Paul, I understand you're coming into a new town and you think it's going to be another battleground. But let me reassure you. I've got people here. And it's not going to be the same. It's going to be different this time in this town. And I'm going to do different work here. I just need you to be faithful and do what I've asked you to do. And don't be gun shy. Don't be, just because you were bit at the last town by someone, doesn't mean someone's going to bite you here. I'll protect you. And he served there for a year and a half, preaching the gospel, the full gospel of Jesus Christ, and training them up according to the ways of the Lord. And then he moved them on and went to another place after another place, continued all the way through. We know the story of Paul's life. But it's by the grace of God, you are exactly who I want you to be, Paul, for a time like this, for people like this. And it's your past will be turned into something great and grander for my purpose. And I'm so, I hold on to the verse, the scripture where he says he'll turn into the things, that, those really bad things, into good for those who love him. I'm thankful for that. Because if you have a past like Paul, he's going to turn it in for good for his purpose. And it's going to change the world if you will just go out and be empowered by the Holy Spirit and just share the full gospel of Christ. And you'll watch what God is going to do through your life. Just like Paul, God's instrument in his hands 
is mighty powerful. And then we end here in verse 11. Paul said, therefore, keyword. Every time you see but, therefore, keywords. Therefore, whether it, the message of the gospel, was given was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. So Paul is basically saying to them in the letter, back to the basics, my brothers and sisters. Share the full gospel. It will impact the world. It will impact lives. It will impact your life. It doesn't matter if it's me, Paul, or it's they over there, the 500, the 12, Peter, James, John, Mary, John, whoever it is, it could be you. It doesn't matter who the messenger is. It only matters what the message is being said. The message is more important than the messenger, people. So don't think your lives are going to be perfect before you can share the full gospel to have an impact in someone else's life. Just go out and let them know what God has done in your life by believing in the full gospel and how he changed your life and watch the power of God change this community. Your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends, and just be like Paul. Go out and just, just radically go out and rely upon the grace of God to do the work. Because I can assure you, and speaking for myself, I absolutely do not deserve to be standing in front of you and doing anything for God. But it's only by his grace and his forgiveness that he has allowed me to do it. And if he's done it in my life, I know my Savior, your Savior, will do it in your life. Let the full gospel impact your family and everyone around you. And it will be by the grace of God. Amen? Father, we begin to thank you and praise you for this morning. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy upon us. And we choose today to believe. To believe that you were so lovingly willing to die for us, to be our substitute on that cross take the penalty of our sin you went you drank that cup your blood was shed and we choose to believe that you're living you're coming back for us you have a great place in your presence with you and we choose to believe and we know the impact it's had on our lives. And we do not look back. We keep looking towards you, keep looking up, 
keep moving forward because our greatest days lie ahead. Because soon and very soon you're coming back for us. But until that time, at this time of season, at this time of life, we, Lord, use us as instruments like you used Paul. Help us to build us up to be strong and of good courage to go out and take on the good fight. To share the good news as you bring people across our path. May we be ready in season and out of season to do that good work. People are dying, Lord, and going to hell. Lord, use us. Let us not be content in our comfy little world, but be stir us up, build us up, and send us out, Lord, into this community this week and watch lives be transformed by you. It's the message that we have. Let us die of self as the messenger and let you, Holy Spirit, work through us and in us to do that work. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.